Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! Good morning to you. My name is Kurt, and this is Launch Sunday. So, hey, uh, if this is your first Sunday, you picked a good one. Because uh, tacos, 12 and a half pounds of guacamole, I did the math. Uh, uh, we got a lot coming in, and then we have an ice cream truck that is coming in, uh, which is, let's be honest, always a little creepy. But a free ice cream truck with a background-checked uh, provider is really exciting and amazing. So that's what we got after service. But before we get there, uh, what we like to do for our launch Sundays, which is really when you're like, well, what are we launching? What's happening? What we're trying to do is to say this church, which has been around for four years, uh, give you an idea of who are we and how do we talk about Jesus? How do we talk about faith and what are we trying to do as a community of faith? Um, And so my hope is that you would walk out today getting a better idea or maybe a first impression of who are we and how do we talk about Jesus and life and faith and all of these. And so to do that this morning, we're going to talk about prophets and the prophetic voice. So um, when I think of prophets, not trying to implant this in your head, but when I think of prophets, I think of uh, these folks right here uh, from the Westboro Baptist Church. Are you familiar? Have you seen these crew? This is, so uh, I've been my entire adult life, I have worked in churches and served as a pastor. One of the achievements I am most proud of is I preached a Sunday service that was protested by the Westboro Baptist Church. That's right. That is right. Because my thing is, you might be like, why would you be proud of being protested by them? If you're not protested by them, what are you doing, Right? (laughs) They have a very, like, it's a lot of hate. And, like, I don't even know who they're like. Yeah, they're nailing it. I don't know what you would have to say to be nailing it in their eyes is the most terrifying thing I can think of. Um, But I tend to think of this kind of, when we think of prophets, this kind of vibe. Um, And a couple of things that really noticed my attention. One, I really appreciated the, uh, the flag as a skirt move. And then... Not blessed, just cursed, is in the red, white, and blue. I'm really curious why they went with the God hates you and you're going to hell with the Rastafarian color scheme kind of going in there. It's an interesting flex that they got. And also, if you're going to remind people that they're going to eternal torment forever, wear a suit and get some good eye protection. I like that. The guy in the back is, he's ready to roll. You're burning in hell, but his retinas are very well protected by those. So here's what I want you to do. When we talk about prophets and this idea, uh, one of the things we like to do at church, and especially here in the morning, is we like to remind each other that we're not just here to kind of hear something, but we're here to kind of engage with one another. And as a community of faith, there's other people around us. And that can be kind of scary and intimidating. So we like to have just a couple of questions for you just to turn around, make sure everyone's included, and no wrong answers, just say, Hey, what do I, how do I connect with this thing? What's going on? The larger purpose of that, of why we want to discuss this, is we believe that conversations of faith need to be a part of the fabric of our day-to-day world. And so to check in with how we engage with things, 
and who we are is a great way of connecting those dots. So what I'd like you to be able to discuss just with the people around you is what do you think of when you think of prophets? It may not be this extreme. It may be something tamer. It may be something biblical. But I'm just interested, when you hear prophets or prophetic voice, what comes to mind? So go ahead and turn around just to people. Make sure no one's left out. Go ahead and say your name and share. What do you think of when you think of prophets or prophetic voice? So I'm interested... uh, for those of you who are able to share, if you're able to kind of hear, for, uh, hear from some of the people that were sharing in your group, if you wouldn't mind just a couple of people uh, shouting out, what were some of the things that were talked about? When you think of prophet or prophetic voice, what came up for you? Old man in dresses. It's yeah, good. Hmm. Harry Potter. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Fortune teller, what was that? Unrealized wisdom in their time. That's a good one. Not intimidated by power. Yeah, that's good. Leroy Barber. Man's a prophet. Countercultural. Yeah, thank you. Loneliness. Yeah, someone's read the Bible. That's good. So how are you going to? Hiding in a cave. <laughs> that's awesome. Anyone else? Foretelling the future? Yeah. Jesus, end time stuff. Yeah, what's going to happen? Yeah, comedians actually serve with that prophetic verse. That's great. Yeah, so when we talk about prophets today, I want you to bring all of those different ideas and those concepts, the good, the bad, the like encouraging, the discouraging to the table. But as we talk about them, here's one more kind of lens that I want to put in your mind. Uh, We have a little video clip that you're going to watch. You'll clearly get exactly why I'm sharing it, and then I'll talk a little bit. Oh, there you are, Peter. Um, I was also shocked to know that movie was made in 1991. Uh, just when I think I'm not super old, I'm like, oh, yeah, my movie clips I want to show in church are 30 years old. Sweet. <laughs> Cutting edge of relevancy. Um, are you guys familiar with the, the film Hook? Oh, it's great. And every time I get a clip of Rufio, I'm like, Rufio. Oh, there you go. You got to. I think the role of the prophet is to sit with a community, an individual, and say, there you are. That in the midst of everything that's going on, it's calling out, there's an identity within you that you were created for and who you were created to be. And the prophet is trying to call that out and say, this is not who you are. It's trying to remind us of identity, trying to remind us of who we truly are at our core. And what's interesting is I think a lot of the lenses through which 
in the United States of America, the evangelical church, how we've taken the Bible and how we've taken the gospel and the lens that we've placed on it causes us to look back at the prophetic words all throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and we've reinterpreted them as being something else. That ultimately the prophet comes to shame you for having done something wrong and you need to fix it. And I think there's certainly, there's definitely a call for correction. I don't think that's purely imagined. But I think at the heart of the call to correction, if you look at all the people that were prophets, these weren't people that weren't a part of the community. They lived there. They were within them. They were calling out their identity and who they truly are and where it had gone astray, where it had gone somewhere else. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at some passages from the Old Testament. You're going to walk away today and be like, ooh, we did so much Bible. We did church, church. So we're going to look at a number of prophetic verses. We're going to look at Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Micah, and a little bit in the New Testament and see, kind of re-look at these. How could these be understood through the lens of a prophet saying, I want to remind you of who you are. If you brought a Bible with you, if you're accessing your phone, I always think it's good to kind of read along. We're going to look at Jeremiah 2 to start. Um, and if you didn't, no worries. The words will be up here on the screen. Here's Jeremiah 2, starting in verse 13. And so Jeremiah is a prophet, and Jeremiah is speaking to the Israelite nation. He says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Why then have they become plunder? Lions have roared. They have growled at them. They have laid waste their land. Their towns are burned and deserted. Also the men of Memphis and Tappanese have cracked your skull. Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Continuing on in verse 18, it says, Now why go to Egypt to drink water from the Nile? And why go to Assyria to drink water from the Euphrates? Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. So that last line, I feel like, sums up a lot of my relationship with the prophets for a long time. You don't have enough awe of God. That ultimately, you're not worshiping hard enough. You, you haven't been faithful enough to God. You don't own enough Christian uh, music, right? Like all your presets on your radio, you got that one station that's like Christian music, but like that button's gathering dust because you're listening to everything else. You don't read your Bible enough. Have you done enough of your daily devotions today? Like you watch HBO sometimes and you're like, oh no. And that this... <laughs> This is a lack of awe of God. You don't care about God enough. And if you look through this passage and what's been happening with the Israelite people, that they have been conquered, but ultimately in their being conquered by a people, they have believed a lie in self-sufficiency. That ultimately they've created a system that looks like every other system where some within their society have riches and wealth and others have nothing. So some benefit, some get all this, the, the wealth that comes from the community and others serve in servanthood as slaves forever. When Jeremiah is calling out is, this is the reason why there's so much suffering here. 
Because you've forgotten your identity. You've forgotten the fact that you are called by God to be God's people, that the whole world would be blessed by you. And what you are going to demonstrate to the world, what the Israelite nation was supposed to demonstrate to the world, is what does it look like when a community of people participate in the mutual thriving of all? What happens when you create a system and a society where for some to have a bunch, others have to have nothing? And how are you sharing in that? And the reason why you share in that isn't because of some sort of political idealism. It's an awareness that one God created all people. And to get a lot while other people get nothing or very little damages your very identity. And what's interesting is that if you look at all the other societies that existed around the same time, and not just that time, but the societies that exist at this time, this is a reoccurring theme over and over and over again. Some of the most powerful nations in the world are really for the benefit of a select few, while many, many others are the ones making that reality happen. What the prophet is saying is you've lost your way and you've lost your identity, and not just trying to shame them to change it, but to say what you've lost is your very soul in this process. This thing that you think is this great benefit to you is deeply harming you. And an awe of God, a fear of God, isn't a fear of punishment of God. It's an awareness that there's a God who created all people and that to mistreat some for the benefit of others is a denial of who this God is and why God placed us here. Jeremiah is saying, you've walked away from the spring of living water And you've dug your own cisterns, broken cisterns. They don't even hold water. You've traded God's system for seeing and valuing all people for your system of valuing some over others. And this is killing you. There's no water here. There's no life here. And this is the denial of your very identity. Let's look at Ezekiel 2, verses 3 through 8. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you. And you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified of them. Though they are rebellious people, you must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like the rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. I love this call to the prophet Ezekiel to the people. That ultimately, there's a lot of times where the prophets among us which, by the way, is you, us as prophetic people, we silence our own prophetic voice because, like, well, they're not going to listen. And what is God saying to Ezekiel? Reminding people of who they are, saying, there you are, Peter. This is your identity as a human being in a worldwide collection of human beings. Yeah, some people are going to fail to listen. Your job isn't to make them listen, because that's an impossible job. Your job is to speak those words. And so what I think is interesting for us today is where in your world, in your life, where you work, where you live, is there a prophetic voice that is necessary? 
where this understanding of who God created people to be is not being observed or seen? And where is God calling you to speak and calling you to act? Okay, I'm not calling for street corners, but some of you may be sent to street corners. But some of you might be called to your neighbors or to your family members or to the people that you work with and say, hey, this thing, this system is not right. This thing cannot continue to exist. Because let's be honest, anyone here that is right now currently in the workforce, you know most jobs have systems that benefit some to the detriment of others. There's their own little microecology going on there, or ecosystem going on there. And to call out and address the places where some are not being heard or seen or honored in the same way is prophetic voice and work. If you have a position of power, it's time to see. It's time to act. It's time to work. Here's one of my frustrations with the Bible. We're going on a little bit of a tangent, but I hope it's worth it. So, one of my frustrations when it comes to the Bible is that we in the United States of America in the 20th and 21st century have read this story and be like, oh, yeah, me too. I feel totally marginalized like an Israelite in the Roman world. Like Jesus and me, we're being persecuted for our beliefs. I'm like, no, you're not. I, <laughs> I'm not saying you're not, but I'm saying in big picture, you're not. And so when it comes to reading the Bible and seeing, well, where, where are the characters? Where are the people that we should be identifying with? I think one of the best characters in the New Testament to identify with as an American in the 21st century is Pontius Pilate. A person who has their role and access to the power, but is put at a hinge point of justice, seeing that someone is being unfairly. And he speaks out a bit, like, hey, y'all, you really shouldn't be doing this. You want to do this? All right, time to wash my hands. I'll get involved enough in issues of justice to say, hey, really, we should, you're going to anyway? All right, well, I'm not going to lose my position of power over your bloodlust. And in the United States of America, I think our characters, we wash our hands a lot of saying, oh, that's just not my thing to do. I'm not here to disrupt these systems. I'm not here to say that the way that we're functioning as a society can actually be harming and hindering people. And right now, some of you are going to like deep, big, like the substance of Twitter uh, issues in our world today. Great, beautiful. I'm also talking about those micro ecosystems that you live in and work in every single day. Every single day. Justice starts, and this is God's justice and seeing all people as created equal, it starts from the ground up. And a lot of people spend a lot of time being right on Twitter, and that's great. But where are we putting this to action in the, in the spheres that we are involved in every single day? Let's look at Hosea, Hosea 4. Um, some people say the Bible is boring, and at many different parts of the Bible, you have a great point. It's a lot of repetition. It was the way it was kind of read and heard. Sometimes I wish the Bible was more boring, and Hosea is one of those books. If you don't know about the prophet Hosea, God tells prophet Hosea to go marry a whore. You go, go marry a, an adulterous woman because that's going to give you a pretty good idea of how I feel in my relationship with the Israelites. 
I don't have any explanation. That just exists. Let's read Hosea 4, 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds. The bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea are swept away. But let no one bring a charge. Let no one accuse another. For your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You can see that there is, again, where these areas where we uh, violate the nature of one God who created all people and this image being placed in all people, there is a ripple effect to all aspects of the world that we live in. Well, we don't see one another And we're not speaking up for the way that one another is being treated. There's a ripple effect to our very environment that we live in. If I can mistreat another person made in the image of God, then the planet, then the ecosystem around me, then the animals, that's really not too much of my concern. And I think in a lot of ways, until we come to understand who God is and how God created us to be, it's no wonder that we live in a world that is actively warming right now at the detriment of the world's poor. But let's make that very, very clear. When we talk about climate change, some of you are like, I don't know, I've never met a whale. I don't care about the whales. Fine. Not fine, but (laughs) for right now, we'll allow it. But you've met people, and over 60% of the people of this world live across the equator. And what area of our planet will be heating up the most and will be most dramatically impacted by our waste and pollution? It is those folks. And you might say, I don't know, just DoorDash it or Postmates it if you can't get food. But when you live in a, a space where your relationship to the environment is how you provide for your family and for everyone around you, you don't just move somewhere else. So if you don't want to care about it as an ecological thing, then you should care about it as a humanitarian crisis. Because care for the planet isn't the planet. Trust me, the planet will be here beyond us. It's care for a planet that we can live on. And all of we, the capitalist of WEs, how are we involved in this? Last one I want to look at is Micah 6, verses 3 through 8, one that some of you might have heard before. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people remember what Balak king of Moab plotted and what Balaam son of Beor answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Continuing in verse 7, it says, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I love this. We are in a church right now. You're doing it. In this church service, what is required? More energy as we sing a worship song? 
fervent prayers really clench those eyes and mean every thought and thing that is prayed, that's great and beautiful. As much as it is moving us to, are we acting humbly? Are we acting justly with one another? God's like, you want to be really fervent in your adoration of me? which isn't something we just see now. This is something we see historically. This is something that is talked about in the First Testament, the earliest written words that we have of people's relationship with this God who is for the people and not against them. And God's saying, I don't want more burnt sacrifices. I don't want more extravagant shows. What I want is for you to see one another and see me in them. And what I love is that God's saying, this is not complicated. Did you see the catch, the first line? How have I burdened you? Have I given you too much? And what we see throughout the Old Testament is this drumbeat of God saying, you're not seeing it. You're not getting it. You're not seeing it. You're not getting it. I'm calling you to do this thing with one another. I'm calling you to see. And it's this pleading, this God with his people, please see one another. Please see me in them. Please participate in this word that's all throughout the First Testament of shalom, the peaceful thriving of all people. And then into the scene and continuing into this prophetic word, we have Jesus. In Luke 13, I want you to hear these words of Jesus. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox, sick burn, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who you kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What's really interesting is right before this section, what Jesus says right before here is he talks about how narrow the road is to come to faith. They're saying, hey, Jesus, will lots of people be saved? And Jesus is like, no, it's a really narrow road. And I've always heard that and interpreted that as, oh, man, a lot of people are going to hell and burning forever, eternal torment. In the context of this Old Testament passage of what God is referring to people, what Jesus is saying is the thing that you've seen true in your life over and over and over again. It's not something you need a lot of faith to believe in. Is a lot of people are called by God who created all people to love and see those around them, and they continue to make decisions to not do that. I continue to make decisions to not do that. We continue to make decisions to not do that. Why is this path narrow? Why do few enter? Because the cost is too great to us personally. We hear the voice of God to see one another around us, to participate in the mutual thriving of all people, and the cost is too great, and we go, I don't know. Or we say, who am I, like Moses? Or and the words that Jesus was say, or God was saying to the prophet before is to Ezekiel, just say it. I'm inviting you just to say it. You're not responsible if they listen to it or not. Because they know narrows the road. 
And in this, what is Jesus saying? I'm here in Jerusalem. You want to kill me? I know. Your lust for blood is endless, endless. And you'll do it to other prophets. You'll do this over and over and over again. But I'm not going to lead a resistance through violence. Because it's a fool's errand. That hope and redemption and love come through Jesus Christ facing the empire that was there to destroy him and say, you can't destroy this. You can't destroy love. And the work of God is ongoing and the people of God are ongoing in this world. And we will not be deterred. We will not stop speaking that there's a God who created us all. And to dishonor to some is to dishonor us all. This is the call of Jesus Christ. This is the invitation of faith. And how we lost that message and how we got away from it is a tale as old as time. We've done it a lot in the patterns of Christianity. We'll do it again in the future. But that does not mean that hope can't rise now and hope can't rise here. And it does not mean that we can't participate that in our very world and where we are. If you think this kind of like prophetic voice is something like, that was a long time ago, I get it, like the prophets and the false prophets. And, you know, like I read this story once about Elijah and they were trying to bring fire down and some died and some didn't. And that was cool. What's interesting is that this pattern keeps happening today. So if you look at the pattern today of prophetic voice, we talked a little bit about environmental concerns, like what happens in the world around us. There are some people that are saying, hey, if we continue this trajectory, we're going to destroy ourselves. And some of us are like, nah, I don't know. We haven't destroyed ourselves yet. Some are like, eh, I actually don't believe that. I think that's fake news. I think that's made up science. And there's actually been lots of changes in the planet. There's been lots of changes in the environment for a very long time. And you explain things like this summer, 12 billion pounds of ice became water in a day. An entire glacier that has never fully melted disappeared in a day this summer. And you say, yeah, just things change in the planet. What we have the opportunity is to look around and not say, well, what were the prophets saying back then? But what are the prophets saying today, here and now? We do a good job of identifying prophets in our past, and then we clean up their message to make it more palatable to our current. But where we really struggle societally, and where they struggled in the Bible, was seeing and identifying the prophets of the day. What are the prophets saying today? And how are we participating in that? Or how are we working against that? So how do we tell what a prophetic voice is saying? Here's just a couple of things. It's a good tell for this is a prophet that is speaking something I need to listen to. The prophetic voice, one, just like in Hook, it reminds us of who we are. The prophetic voice is calling you back to your core identity as someone that is created and intertwined with every other human being on this planet. And the image of God is working in the midst of all of us. Two, it calls out abuses of power. There are ways that power is used to hold on to power. A reoccurring cycle all throughout the Bible. 
One of the ones I like to talk about a lot is that in the very beginning of the story, you have Abraham is called out to create a nation, and ultimately Joseph brings them all to Egypt, and they all show, all of his brothers show up to Egypt because there's a famine in the land, and they start populating. And they really start populating in Egypt, and they grow and grow and grow. And what does that little line say at the end of Genesis? Pharaoh looked around and noticed that there were many, and so he enslaved them. He had power, and he wasn't saying, hey, how do I help and see the thriving of this group of people that have moved here? How do I help actually integrate them into this thing that we're doing and create something even bigger and more beautiful? He's like, they're not us, and that's scary, so let's enslave them. Prophetic voice calls out those abuses of power and say, that is not what power is for. And we see this most clearly modeled in the life of Jesus, the most powerful being in any room he ever walked in, and never once used that power to serve himself, never once used that power to accumulate more power, but was always constantly giving it away. Prophets call it abuses of power. And finally, the prophetic voice is for those who won't be heard. You speak out on behalf of those other voices in the system that will not be listened to and will not be heard. I encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, is like another more recent example of this. The New York Times just released something called 1619. That is incredible. And it's a look at the role of slavery throughout the the history of our country. It's a great example of what happens when people are enslaved and brought to this country and whose voices are not heard systematically unheard through the governance of our country. There's a beautiful line in the first kind of podcast of that. It said that ultimately the founding fathers created democracy, but it was actually the African slaves that perfected democracy through their rise to being, the, being called equals with everyone else in this, in this country. How are we using the prophetic voice for those who won't be heard? How are we calling out abuses of power And how are we reminding people of who they are? Christianity should be good news. Christianity should be good news. And yet we've settled for something that's good news for some and bad news for most. It's the only way you can have people with signs say you're going to hell. It's the only way is when we take in a system that's for the thriving of all people and we made it for the thriving of some. And so I'm going to invite the band to come back up. But as they come, here's my invitation to you. I don't want this, whatever this was this morning, just to be another academic exercise or something you're like, huh, some interesting thoughts about the nature of Scripture. The real question for all prophetic voices and the real question that Jesus is asking throughout his whole journey is, but what about you? Your story and voice matters. Your story and voice matters. And are we living in such a way that's actually demonstrating that? Or is our life and our actions a demonstration that our voice doesn't matter and our presence here isn't something worthwhile? How are we stepping more fully into that voice and calling one another to see ourselves through the eyes of God where all people are allowed 
to peacefully thrive. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would empower our voice and God, you would empower our actions. God, may you teach us and lead us in how we can act justly and walk humbly in this world. And where, God, we can see systems change, that, God, your good news would be good news for all people, a message of liberation that sets the slaves free, that sees one another, that values one another, God, may we not just support that, but may we actively participate in that work in this world today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.